The pipe organ goes back in history for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, uh, the earliest references we have to it are to do with the Romans, although nothing much has survived from that period. In more recent times, it uh, goes back to 7800, and some of the earliest references are here in Ireland in connection with Glendalough, where it was said to be one of the subjects that was taught at the University of Glendalough. The earliest instruments we have are much uh, later than that, but still very old. We have remains of instruments dating from around 1200 um, in, in, in Scandinavia, and the oldest playing instruments still existing date from the uh, 1300s. Now, obviously they've changed a bit in the meantime, but they still do contain original pipes and uh, of course, the original casework and appearance. And from then, right down to the present day, there's a continuing history of instruments of different styles, instruments of uh, different sizes, of course, some instruments not in churches, which was their original um, principal use, but instruments in concert halls in more recent times. During the last century, we had organs in every town hall and city hall worth talking about, not only uh, in, in Europe, but also in places like America and Australia, because in those days, the music, uh, classical music in smaller cities particularly, wasn't played by orchestras, because there weren't orchestras um, around. So the local town or city organist made a arrangements of all these orchestral works, symphonies and so on, and played them on these instruments. So something that a lot of people don't realise is, of course, the organ is not just a religious instrument or, as it's sometimes fondly called, a hymn machine. Our workshops here in Bray are in uh, St Paul's Church, which was one of the two Church of Ireland churches in Bray, and at the time of the fuel crisis in the 70s, I think it was, uh, it was decided that for reasons of heating and other things like that, that the two congregations would be um, combined and they both now worship in Christchurch up at the top end of the town. So St. Paul's was um, not used and uh, we were able to uh, get a lease on it. In fact, we were welcomed um, so that the church would still be used for something which is connected very largely with the idea of a religious purpose. In here we have made some adaptations to the building but not in the way that alters the building itself in the least. In fact we could vacate St Paul's and it would still be unharmed by our having been here. So when we've put in a second floor for example for storage space and for other reasons, we have supported it entirely on its own independent steel structure, not by digging holes into the wall or anything like that. We have a um, very congenial atmosphere here because, having been at church, we have stained glass windows uh, and a, an atmosphere that suits the making of instruments. The disciplines involved in organ building were to some degree assisted by my earlier experience as an engineer, because in an organ you have all sorts of different mechanisms which connect 
the keys with the valves that let wind into the pipes. You have constructions. You have all sorts of calculations to make to do with uh, wind supply, with, well, you name it. Almost every discipline is involved in an organ. Then you have architecture, of course, and uh, every organ is different and is made specifically for where it's going. So you have to be um, able to choose an architectural style for the instrument that is appropriate to its surroundings or perhaps that makes a, a sort of modern statement. Then in other disciplines involved uh, are those of music. You're making a musical instrument after all. So one really needs to know uh, a certain amount about music. The different sorts of materials you work in are also almost legion. Pipes are made of metals of various alloys. Also, they're made of different woods. The organ case, of course, is made of fine timbers. And inside, the various parts of the organ are brass and phosphor bronze, wood. Then we've leather, of course, for the bellows. And the working of all of these in a craft sense is part of what an organ builder has to do. Now, I, as the, uh, well, you might say, the sort of boss man or head man of this uh, particular team, uh, I have to know how to and be able to work with all these materials. It's a very fascinating uh, craft because of the sheer variety of disciplines and of interests and of craft skills. For quality musical instruments, um, and in, in the organ sense, the demand is constant. And we are approached, the way it happens is that we are approached or written to or asked if we will um, put forward a proposal and um, design and quotation for a new instrument, whether it's for a church or whether it's for um, a school or concert hall or something like that. So, having been asked to put forward a proposal, we have to visit the actual situation or the site. We'll find out a few things. First of all, what the acoustics are like, so that we'll have some idea of how the organ is going to sound. It also gives us a guide to the size of the organ that may be required. We then need to find out what the tentative budget is, if there is a budget for the organ, because that determines the size and perhaps the degree of decoration of the organ, because that can be quite an elaborate and expensive issue. And um, we also then need to know what the organ's going to be used for. Quite clearly, if it's going to be in a, a, a small church where it's just going to play a couple of hymns on a Sunday morning, that's one demand. But if it's going to be somewhere like uh, a concert hall, it has to be able to play a whole range of music, which is specifically written for the organ, of course, and also a lot of music that is written for organ together with orchestra. And you can imagine that there is a big difference between the organ for a small church and a concert hall organ, which is one of size, of course, but also on the whole approach to the instrument. So when we've decided what is right for the situation and what can be afforded, we then have to set to and get on with the design of the instrument. All of the organ 
with the exception of very few parts, uh, can be made here in our workshops in Bray. Now, it's not practical to make an electric organ blower because there are people who are specialists in this, so obviously we order blowers to our specification uh, from these makers or manufacturers. We also uh, order and buy in certain materials in raw form uh, and others partly finished. I mean, we buy steel for the structure sometimes within the organ. We use an awful lot of wood. We buy that in um, just in the rough and then work it from there. When it comes to the uh, keyboards, there again we have a very specialised area. Now we can make keys here, but we don't because together with certain other things it would be far more expensive for us to do that and we would not be doing our clients um, any uh, good service by making something more expensively just for the reason that we could say, oh, we made it ourselves. So the people who make keyboards... They make them also, you see, for pianos and things like that. They make them by the tens of thousands. They are therefore more economical. They're therefore also probably better. And the same goes for quite a lot of the pipes. We make some pipes here. We have made more, particularly all wooden pipes um, that we used to make. But to have a pipe shop, as it's called, for making metal pipes here, we haven't felt was justifiable because... Again, there are four or five specialist uh, makers of organ pipes. That's all they do. They make organ pipes to people's specifications. So the pipes, the metal pipes for our instruments, come from uh, some from Holland, uh, some from uh, Germany, uh, some from near Belfast, and uh, some have come uh, in the past from England. Uh, these pipes are very precisely specified and detailed by us. Uh, the organ that we build, and that is built by most of the uh, most serious organ builders in the world today, is a freestanding instrument. That's to say it's not built into a hole in the wall or anything like that. It stands there, you can walk around it. It may be 20, 30, 40 feet high, or maybe only 10 feet high, but you do walk around and the reason for this is that the pipes are all contained within an organ case. And this has got solid wood panels on the back, on the sides, and on the top. And all the sound comes from the front of the organ. Now this case, or organ case as it's called, acts uh, rather like the body of a violin. It resonates with the sound of the pipes, helps to blend the sound together. It also helps to project the sound in a blended way uh, in the direction coming from the front of the organ. The different woods used in the organ case do also have some effect, just like you wouldn't expect to get a very good uh, sound from a, a fiddle made of plywood. We've now come into the voicing room in our um, workshops, at our workshops. This is called a voicing room because it's isolated from the rest of the building's uh, noise and within, within it there is what is in effect a small um, pipe organ almost. It's got everything except an organ case and on it we place all the new uh, pipes or even those we're restoring and we work on those pipes to get the sound 
that we want from them. And this operation is called voicing the pipes. It's nothing to do with tuning them. That's a merely mechanical thing of adjusting the length of a pipe. The voicing is where the parts of the pipe are adjusted and uh, manipulated so that the sound produced by the pipe is what we want. Uh, What exactly is a a pipe organ, I mean the guts of it, the inside of it, and how does it work? First of all, you've got an electric motor which makes the wind nowadays, although one can also have hand bellows, and I'm sure you know the idea of someone beside an organ moving a handle up and down or pumping the organ. Uh, That wind is held in a bellows or reservoir, which is a leathered box, you might say, in which the top can rise up and it's got weights on it, which creates the pressure. I think I should perhaps explain here that in an organ, everyone knows there are stops. We all use the phrase pulling out the stops. And a stop, so-called, is a set of pipes. There's one pipe for each key on the keyboard for that stop. So that if we have a flute stop, then that by drawing that stop, we put into commission, as it were, a set of flute pipes. One for each key. And the wind then comes up through hollow wooden boxes to where the pipes stand. And under the pipes, there are valves which let the wind up to the pipes. And then you come back down the other way. And from those valves, there are connections of wood, little thin strips of wood called trackers, and of metal that come all the way to the keyboard. So that when you play a key, what you're doing is you're pulling or pushing on a thin strip of wood, a whole series of them, that go all the way to the valves that are beneath the pipes. And then, by letting wind into the pipes, the organ sounds. There are various other controls that I won't go into here because it's quite technical to do with putting various sets of pipes on and off. Uh, That's another discipline. But again, it's entirely a mechanical um, system. It's the sort of thing that anyone who lives in the country and is used to farm machinery would understand quite a bit about, particularly if you're used to doing running repairs on a combine harvester. A lot of the uh, bits and pieces that go to the mechanical side of an organ are not all that different. This um, voicing organ has its own blower, of course, its own bellows, its keyboard, everything just like another organ. Uh, The bellows is silent, generally. The, The blower itself makes a little bit of a noise. If I switch it on, you'll hear it starting up probably, and then you may hear a certain amount of wind escaping here and there, because this is a rather an old machine, but it does its job well. So there we go. I'll switch it on, and then it's now starting to speed up. There we go. Now the bellows is rising. Now the bellows has risen, and the weights have been lifted up by the top of it, and inside is the wind under pressure. Now that wind, I can then let up to the where the pipes are. First of all, I'll just put on a stop that has got no pipes on it. So you'll hear the wind rushing out. 
So I'll hold down this note. So wind's coming out of the hole where the pipe's going to stand. I'll put the pipe into the hole. There we go. Now, that pipe is not making any sound. Well, it was a sort of windy sound, nothing very great. So I've got to adjust the mouth. I've already done the cutting and shaping that I need. Now I'll move the metal so that I get the sound I want. So. I'm going to pull this upper lip out a little bit. You hear the sound trying to come? Now it's not quite right. So I'm going to take another tool here and tap down the sort of shelf of metal here called the language. Bit at each side. That's now it's coming better, but you hear, you hear that it's sort of slow starting. So we're not quite, we're not quite there yet. So I'm going to manipulate the metal a little bit more. Now that pipe is speaking um, uh, pretty well, actually. You can hear the way it has an attack, like a little just as you would with a flute or any musical instrument. A musical instrument becomes dead if you don't have an attack as well as a continuing sound. Now that pipe there is uh, actually uh, about the middle pipe of the set for this particular stop and then if we go down lower we, we, we do this to every pipe in the set of 56 or 57 pipes which is needed for every stop for the whole keyboard so an octave lower 12 notes lower this is the pipe now that's actually very nearly there um, I have done work on it before talking about it now but if I just manipulate that a little bit, you see now we, that this, this should speak well. That's fine, and we can go even lower down, and this is one that I did before, and that's, this is the bottom note of this stop. So I've done three pipes there, and then I want to compare that one with the one above. It wouldn't be very good if the one above was very much softer than the lower one, or vice versa. But in fact, they are, I would have said, about right, as far as one can tell in here, in this voicing room, because the acoustics of the church may have an entirely different effect and may encourage some of the lower notes to sound louder, or vice versa. It might be that the highest pitch ones would sound too loud. But that's just very simply uh, the basis by which one uh, voices. Now, if I do want to soften this one, I can do so by closing up the tip in the bottom. And we just uh, beat it with um, a chisel, in fact, to close the whole of it. Now, it probably won't be evident to the microphone the amount that I have closed that tip, and I could close it a lot more, but it's the subtleties of these small differences that make for the evenness and fineness of tone. 
Yes, it's just that tiny bit quieter. So that's working now with what we call flue pipes. Reed stops are something else. <laughs> they are more like uh, instruments like a clarinet, which have um, uh, a piece of bamboo which vibrates. Uh, an oboe has two. Um, in a reed stop in an organ, you have, instead of bamboo, you have brass, and you have it curved. So here is a trumpet, a pipe from a trumpet stop. And it makes it sound in the same sort of way as a clarinet, but because it's a different shape, it sounds different. In fact, it sounds much closer to what we know as a trumpet. Now, I can tune that, or adjust it in pitch, quite simply by adjusting the length of the reed. So I'll hold the note and do that. raucous noise, isn't it? <laughs> but you may be able to hear that you come to a point where it sounds clearest and best, and that is when the length of the reed, the brass reed, is matched with the length of the tube or resonator above. Just about there. Now, the whole craft of voicing reed pipes is one of the most difficult and specialised of all the um, uh, crafts in, in, in organ building. And it's the skill of curving that brass tongue or brass reed to exactly the right curve that is, a, is something that only very few people really have and also to know the very strange ways in which these uh, reeds pipes behave. It's very similar to the regulators on a set of villain pipes. There, as anyone who knows about pipes <laughs> will tell you, the uh, working with the reeds, cutting them, trimming, scraping and so on is, is a very specialised thing and no two sound the same. Many different types of reed stops in the organ having different tonal character. Uh, I've played a, a trumpet to you, which sounds like this. Uh, there's a, an unusual one called a vox humana which is a supposed to sound like a human voice, although I've never thought it very much did. It sounds like this. And then uh, something is closer to the sound of an oboe. And uh, to a clarinet. These stops are not intended to imitate not really to imitate the orchestral instruments, but they're given names that may sound orchestral because the orchestral instrument sounds perhaps closest to them. Because a lot of these stops are older than the orchestral instruments, like the uh, Vox Humana type sound, the 
so-called clarinet-like sound. Pipes were made like this uh, maybe seven, eight hundred years ago, long before <laughs> the clarinet was uh, invented. Uh, amongst the flue stops, that's the ones that don't have any reeds beating in them, but uh, work with more like a flute, we have the characteristic sound of the organ, which is the principal or diapason tone, and the flue pipes that I was voicing uh, just uh, a little while ago were of this family. But we also have many other sounds coming from uh, different shapes of flue pipes, uh, such as flute sounds. Most people when they look at an organ and see this uh, raw pipe standing there, whether there's an organ case or not with it, they think that that is the organ. They don't realize that the pipes you see in the front are only a matter of maybe two or three percent of the total number in the organ. And the reason they're out in front is because they are uh, large and therefore they serve also as a decorative front uh, to the organ. But inside, even a small organ may have hundreds of pipes and typically the instruments that we build, the average sized organ built for a church nowadays would have somewhere between um, 700 and maybe 1500 pipes in it. Larger organs can go to as many as 5000 pipes, no two of which in an organ are the same. You don't buy pipes like you buy water pipe. The pipes are made of various metals, uh, talking about metal pipes now for the moment, and this is cast in a flat sheet. It's then cut and rounded on metal formers, soldered up the back, and every single pipe is a different diameter by as much of a difference as a smaller difference as maybe a millimeter between one and the next. They're all different lengths, and so on, different shapes. So this is where the craft work continues. You can't mechanize the making of things that are so individual as this. The organ is, in this sense, a handmade musical instrument, again, like uh, a cello or uh, something of that sort. The metals most commonly found are lead and tin in various proportions. For most stops in an organ, we use a mixture of lead and tin. Uh, we like a metal called spotted metal, which, when it cools, when you've cast it on the bench into this thin sheet that may be a millimeter or two thick, no more, it forms a pattern on the surface when you've got about 50% of lead and 50% tin, which is uh, sort of in uh, spots, a bit like a, what you'd see in a giraffe is the best way I can describe it. And in that, the spots are a larger percentage of lead in them, and the surrounding web has a larger percentage of tin, and is therefore stiffer and harder. But some pipes we make with as little as 5% tin. Now, they're almost pure lead, and so we have to put in a bit of copper and trace elements, antimony, to make them hard. Otherwise, after some years, they would collapse. Other pipes particularly the ones you very often see in the front of an organ, a new organ these days, are made with a very high percentage of tin, anything up to 95%, because that stays 
nice and bright. It's polished and shone and stays bright for a long, long time. And it's also stiff and strong, and these he big, heavy pipes then do not collapse. The metal, of course, is soft, uh, as you would have realized perhaps when I was describing how I was working with the pipes. I am able to cut the metal with a sharp knife, and uh, I'm able to deform it and shape it with specially shaped tools. During the period since I started back in Ireland, uh, I must have, I, well, we must have made something like uh, oh, 70, 80, maybe more organs of all sorts, sizes and sorts. Some of the more significant ones are in places like Christchurch Cathedral in Dublin um, and also uh, in other countries because we've exported. We have built now 12 organs in the United States everywhere from Florida to Alaska and in England we've also done some um, significant instruments. Here in Ireland I suppose nearly every county has got examples of uh, pipe organs that we have uh, designed and made. One of our uh, present contracts is for a very large organ for the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral in Salt Lake City in the States. That's a, an instrument with four keyboards and uh, well over 4,000 pipes. Then uh, we're also building for uh, Cambridge for Great St. Mary's, that's a university church. And the one which is of most interest uh, to people in Ireland at the moment is the one that we're building for the National Concert Hall. The uh, new concert hall organ uh, is going to go up behind the, uh, what are known as the choir seats, that's behind the orchestra, up against the wall in Central Bay, and it will go right up to, almost to the ceiling. The keyboards, and the, that's where the organist sits and plays, will be down at the front of those seats, uh, set in between the first two rows of those seats with no visible connection to the organ, which is up at the wall beyond. The mechanisms all pass underneath the floor of the uh, choir seating area and then up into the organ. And it's also underneath that floor, uh, suspended on various sort of false floors, that we'll have things like the bellows and certain other parts of the uh, technical supply systems of the instrument. So the organist will be right there at the lip of the stage and a very good contact of course with the conductor and the orchestra and also uh, in a very good position from the point of view of hearing the instrument that he's playing and uh, if there are choirs involved as there are in many many works uh, he'll also be very well placed for them.
now sitting at the console of the organ here at Christchurch Cathedral in Dublin. And in front of me there are three keyboards, well in fact more like four keyboards. There are 39 stops on the organ and under my feet is the so-called fourth keyboard or pedal board. It's rather like another keyboard that we use except that the large notes or the so-called black notes are all the same colour but it's laid out exactly like the keyboard of a piano. I'd like to play you an example of some of these stops on the organ now. Firstly, the trumpet stop, which you heard earlier in the voicing room, and a well-known tune by Jeremiah Clark, probably recognisable to you as the famous trumpet voluntary. Now the air from the water music by George Frederick Handel. This I'll play on the flute stops of the organ, which you'll hear a very different and more definite sound than the trumpet. I say definite because it's very much more a smooth and recognisably so smooth sound. London Dairy Air now. This traditional tune I'll play on the oboe first, the crumb horn, and then the diapason or principal stops. Principal stops are so called because they're rather like the fundamental sound of an orchestra. They're slightly stringy but warm and rich sounds. I'm now going to play On the Pedals Alone, a tune which I think you'll probably recognise as part of the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I'm playing this on the 16-foot trombone on the cathedral organ. It's a characteristic reedy sound, which I hope you'll like. I'll now hold down one key with one hand, while with the other I'll draw the various stops of the organ, and you'll hear the effect it has when I draw one stop on top of another. I think the various sounds are pretty clear individually, but as we draw them together, I think you'll understand it creates a rather exciting and individual sound.
the organ here at Christchurch is divided basically into four divisions, that of the great, the swell, the choir, and the pedals. The swell division is so-called because it has the capacity to get louder and softer as you press what in fact looks like a little accelerator pedal in front of the pedal board of the organ itself. We hear now how that operates by starting very quietly. We can just add stops at the same time as opening and closing this little magic box, giving us the power to create louder by opening the box and softer by closing the box. We finish with part of the Toccata by the Russian composer Georgi Muschel, and on it you'll hear full organ of the organ of Christchurch Cathedral, and I think you'll agree that it justifiably earns its title, the King of Instruments. <laughs> 